Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. White Sox fans, welcome in. It's the Sox on Tap post-game show. Johnny Nani here alongside NWI Steve discussing a 3-0 White Sox winner. Steve, what a crisp damn ball game from our White Sox today. Hey, yo, Johnny, that's exactly what you like to see. People talk a lot about that ninth inning yesterday, possibly building some momentum, hopefully maybe being the catalyst to get this team on track. And then they went out there today and just played a nice, sound, fundamental baseball game, and you love to see it. You absolutely love to see it. The title of this episode is Wheelin' and Dealin', and I guess it should be Wheelin' and Dylan because Dylan Cease pitched an absolute gem today. We need to start from the top. Steve, tell me about Dylan Cease's outing. Dylan Cease, once again, second consecutive outing, just went out there, laid his nuts on the table, said, here they are. What are you going to do about it? Oh, that's right. You're not going to do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. Nothing. You you have no chance today. I talk about this every night, and I'm sure people are getting tired of hearing about it. Establish fastball command, work ahead and counts. 11 strikeouts, no walks. That is the essence of it right there. Going out there, seven quality innings, giving this team a chance to win, limiting the amount of outs that this bullpen has to cover. That's what you want to see. That's what we're talking about, a guy making that progression to the next level, being a top-tier starting pitcher. Yeah. it. I had told the group chat and need to air it out here for the listeners, and it's still early, but it's safe to say that Dylan Cease has taken that next step that everybody wanted to see and everybody needed to see, the White Sox needed to see, fans needed to see this year, to be that guy. There's no more threat of the beginning and things spiraling out of control. And sure, things can vary a little bit start to start. But I said, even in that game that ended up being a loss at Cleveland, he still went out. There was no major runoff that we're just completely spiraled out of control in one inning. And, you know, that that was the one that did him in uh, outside of an outstanding outing. And he's been able to establish that consistently and then dominate the best team in or excuse me, best offensive team in baseball throughout the month of April. Incredible. Well, and you saw him really going out there and utilizing three pitches with consistency. Uh, Obviously the fastball, both of the breaking balls and sprinkling in the changeup a little bit more today. We didn't really see the changeup at all in his last outing. So he did work that in there and a couple of occasions. And really that's going to be the key with a fourth pitch, just throwing it in there every once in a while to keep the opposition honest. And went back and kind of looked through some of the data with this game. Seven of his 11 fastball, or excuse me, seven of his 11 strikeouts were on fastballs here today. So it was pretty clear there was a discernible game plan that he and Ethan Katz had coming into this game. We're going to go out there. We're going to get ahead of guys with breaking balls, working backwards, which is something I'd like to circle back to in a little bit, and then putting guys away with fastballs either elevated at the top of the zone or we saw in a couple instances just acing 
Mike Trout, the best yes. player on the planet. Three, three times by Dylan Cease himself, and then Mr. Hendricks got him in the – That's how many teams can say that they've struck out Mike Trout four times in a game? That's a rare that, occurrence. That does not happen very often at all. And so to see Dylan Cease go out there and do that today, that shows the type of overall dominating stuff that this guy possesses to go out there and make Mike Trout look the way he did today. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you just absolutely love to see it. That's the bottom line today. It, it was a crisp, clean game all around, Steve. And they started by setting the tone. Hashtag set the tone in the first inning, piling on two runs, stringing together a couple of hits, and then nothing flashy. Wasn't a home run this time. Wasn't a double to the gap, but a couple of balls that are able to get through. Jake Berger with the sack fly. Um, just get them on, get them over, get them in. That's what they did, and it's effective. You talk about this all the time. You talk about being opportunistic. Right. And one of the points that I've driven home in the early part of the season and one of the points of frustration has been that when this team has scored, which has been a rarity in itself, when they've had opportunities to cash in and score multiple runs in an inning, they have not been doing that with consistency. So to see them put two runs across the board in that first inning right there, really set the tone right there, and put themselves in a position for Dylan Cease to say, hey, I've got a little bit more of a cushion here than I've had in in recent outings. So now I can really go out there and, again, just continue to be aggressive and pound the strike zone. And that's the type of thing that this offense really needs to be doing with more consistency here. And if they do that, I think good things are going to start to happen. And I think just overall the quality of the at-bats and the approach today when Sandoval was in the game was really a stark contrast from what we have seen over the last two and a half weeks. And it's really mind-numbing to me the difference in how this team approaches and attacks left-handed pitchers versus righties going out there and actually taking pitches and getting themselves in accounts to where they can actually do damage. Why this team is incapable of doing that against right-handed starters baffles me to be completely honest with you, but to actually see that here today, that's the type of offensive approach that you want to see on a pitch to pitch at bat to bat game to game basis. Because when you see that with more regularity, I think that's going to be a bigger sign of this offense yeah. potentially starting to break out. Right. And we had seen the low walk rates and, you know, drawing the fewest amount of walks through almost, you know, basically the first uh, almost full month of the season. You would have like it, it's kind of like you said, mind numbing a little bit to where you would think, OK, if it's a right handed heavy lineup, which we have, wouldn't they want? to take those extra pitches and put themselves in a better position when you have the righty righty matchup. Um, I know the left, it's a little bit more favorable when you've got a bunch of righties going up there trying to uh, stroke it against a lefty, but you would think that they would try to give themselves a better cushion, a better pad in doing that. But um, just, I don't know. It's I want them to be a little bit more patient even further now, but um, I'll take the result today. Um, but let's just hope that the overall approach improves, uh, Steve. And this is something that can set the tone now for the month of May since we're in it here. Um, and one other thing too, we talk about, you know, uh, your guy, Matt in the comments here, scoring with runners in scoring position is kind of a big deal. Obviously saw him able to do that in that first inning there. Um, even in that win on Saturday, Steve, Tony, and I talked about it after and like, you know, we were finally got off, you know, the shine again and had something to like celebrate again. So Tony didn't really have much negative to say my one point to harp on was the runners and corners position not being opportunistic and they what they left like 11 on or something like that 
uh, in Friday's game in the, or in Saturday's game. And that was a game that they won four to nothing. So um, to see it come through today, that that was an encouraging sign. And also to see some of that, you know, because it can kind of be like a cliche, like, oh, well, they rallied and just came up short on Sunday. So that that's, you know, hopefully that builds momentum. Well, it actually did today, I think, in my opinion. I don't know about you. Yeah, a couple points there. So that was one of the things actually being in the ballpark on Saturday and watching that kind of firsthand. I had tweeted out on a couple of different occasions that at some point this team is going to have to nut up and actually punch a run across the plate when they have runners in scoring position in less than two outs. So again, yeah, that, that's why that first inning I think was so crucial to see yeah. them go out there and be able to execute and get a job done. My, yeah. my collegiate baseball coach, uh, the immortal Steve Ruzic used to say all the time when you know, somebody would try to lay down a, a sacrifice bunt or try to bunt for a hit and it would go foul. And people in the dugout would always be clapping and saying, oh, oh, good idea, good idea. And he would always follow up with, fuck that. How about instead of doing a, having a good idea, somebody goes out there and does a good job. So to see them go out there today and do a good job, yep. that's what I want to see more of. Yeah, no, absolutely. As AJ Pollock with the ground out uh, opposite field to, uh, you know, uh, get that first run in. And then Jake Berger with the sack fly, uh, as I'd mentioned, bring the second home run in uh, in the first. Uh, other than that, I mean, this is Dylan Cease's day. It was Cease day, Cease the day. He did that very much so, um, as we had talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, went through with the seven innings, 11 strikeouts, no walks. Beautiful thing to see there. But uh, White Sox add on one more uh, for him in the bottom of the sixth uh, with an Adam angle double uh, excuse me double down the left field line to score mr jose Abreu coming around from first uh, i like to send there from uh super joe that was actually a good one uh because we have had some questionable ones in past weeks but that was a good one throw was not there um you know it was late getting there and uh that was a huge run at least for confidence sake at that point steve that third run is huge right there because now you're you're in a position where if you just have one base runner on there and if the starting pitcher, whether it's Dylan Cease or anyone else for that matter, goes out there and makes a mistake, they still have a cushion. So that third run, that insurance run, is so big in that circumstance. So seeing Adam Engel come through in that spot and the aggression that I agree with you 100%, that was a correct decision by Joe McEwing. I think we've all been very critical of some of the decisions and some of the green lights that he has had right. to this point early on in the season. That was 100% the right call there in that spot. And uh, Pito Wheels, baby. Yeah. He, hey, he turned on. I, Steve, I love, we talked about, you know, let's go back to a point that our guy Sean Roberts, not on the show today, but uh, if you've listened to the show, Sean is all about the vibes and the vibes with Pito coming around and, you know, really tanking it around third base. And then after he slides in and then does the barrel roll back over uh, on his helmet and, you know, comes up and he's high fiving guys on his way into the dugout, all, you know, covered in dirt afterward. That's the kind of energy that you like to see. Those are the kind of vibes that you like to see that can hopefully start a win streak here, especially since you're playing an inferior opponent coming up here. That I I liken that move and that send and, and Pito turning on the Jets right there to score that run, similar to a game last season against the Kansas City Royals when he scored the game winning yes. on a pass ball. Yeah, that, that kind of took me right back to that spot right there, and that was in some ways kind of a little bit of a turning point because that was on a Sunday afternoon. They had split the first two games of that series there. So that got the Sox a series win. They ended up, you know, obviously splitting this four game set here. Hopefully this is the type of thing that can be a little bit of a momentum builder yeah. for this team here. I, 
I, overall, from this, you talked about, you know, splitting this series here. Um, I, I want to say that, yes, sure, you'd like to take this series, um, especially, and we would probably earlier on expect to take this series, uh, especially with how uh, the first, like, you know, two series went uh, of the season, where expect, uh, obviously, where just our, all of our expectations are uh, so far. But I will say, to slow down an Angels team like that, it very well could have been more of a bloodbath. So uh, it's not to say that... Uh, this is, you know, completely acceptable by any means. Like, yeah, we do want to be, you know, setting the tone early on here with series wins, but at the same time with it being a four game set as well. Um, I think the split there is a little bit more meaningful to me than say you were to like split with the Tigers or the Royals or something at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I think especially coming into the series, knowing that you had, the middle two games in that series being started by Vince Velasquez and Dallas Keuchel. I think coming into that, if you would have told all of us collectively as, as a fan base that they're going to get a split, they're going to find a way they're going to do it. I think we all would have taken that Um, knowing that they did have an opportunity to potentially come back and win that game yesterday. Um, And, you know, it, it does leave a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth because you do want to start to win some series here. You got to find right. a way to get yourself back to 500 before you can really be dangerous. But you come out of this two and two against an Angels team that has been playing pretty good baseball, swinging the bats really hot coming into this. You'll you'll take that. Yeah, and I know this is not the record that White Sox fans want to hear right now, but I will say, doesn't nine and thirteen sound a lot better than eight and fourteen? Hashtag confirmed. Yeah, confirmed. All right, let's talk about the rest of the way that uh, got the White Sox there, and that is the bullpen. Only two guys had to come in today because Mr. Cease, Phelan Cease, went seven strong. Um, that was Kendall Graveman, Gravedigger, excuse me, and then Liam Hendricks here. Steve, talk to me about the bullpen today. Uh, Kendall Graveman think, seems like he's continuing to do what he's doing, and then Liam Hendricks, I know you got a take on him, so let's hear it. Yeah, these are two really important points here. And, again, I think all of this is predicated on Dylan Cease going out there giving this team seven quality innings and limiting the amount of outs that this bullpen has to cover. If he can go out there, do that with consistency. And if you get the same type of performances out of the likes of Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn, when he gets back, and as you continue to build up Michael Kopech, that is going to be the key for this team going forward here. And I want to talk specifically about Liam Hendricks right now. We all know the struggles that he has had here through the start of this season. This is one of the major overarching themes that I took from this game is seeing him go out there, have that one, two, three, inning, but more importantly, seeing him go out there and throw quality secondary breaking balls. That's something we have not seen at any point this season. And that has really been the core issue for him is he has essentially gone out there and been a one pitch pitcher. So if he's able to go out there, have that release point on that slider and be able to put hitters in a defensive position, knowing that he's got that in his back pocket. All of a sudden now they can't just sit back there waiting to tee off on that fastball. So that is huge. This is something that I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye on here going forward because that could be a turning point. Yeah. And Steve, you talk about turning points with these guys and I just want to make it be known. And I, I do think that history can repeat itself. I'm not saying it's going to here. We obviously have to see how he performs over this next month. But if you remember, Liam Hendricks let up like five home runs in April last year and everybody was kind of like worried, like early on, like what is like that we, this isn't the guy that we paid for. Like, come on, like we need to see better. And like, you know, heart attack, Hendricks, all that shit. And then he went on to be the reliever of the month in May. So maybe it's just a thing of working himself into that, really finding the feel for it. And I think this could be the turning point, like you had pointed out. 
So those pitches look nasty from the stands. I'm sure they look nasty on the broadcast. Oh, I mean, there there was some vicious stuff going on there today. And just, again, he he had the hard bite on the slider to be able to go out there and utilize that in conjunction with that fastball that he was pumping up there, 99, 100. That's a pretty devastating one-two punch. And if he's able to replicate that with consistency here, then you're going to see that guy that went on a run during the middle part of last season and was for you know several months there over, over the course of the summer last year, the most dominant reliever in the American League. Yeah, and uh, per Codify, I believe, Liam Hendricks is the first closer to record a save in the ninth inning, three outs, three strikeouts with a dozen pitches or fewer. That's pretty cool and tough, Steve. That will get it done. Give me some more of that. Yeah, that's, you know, it's just, it's an impressive feat. Uh, And I know it's like kind of like, you know, like a very slim and you're putting like all these, uh, um, you know, barriers on it to like narrow it down there. But that's basically tells you why this guy has reliever of the year type of shit and why he's won this award the last two years, right? 100%. And that's where it all comes down to. Closers are very much creatures of habit and they're all about feel. And when you don't have that feel, you can see it, things just look off. And with the exception of just about every relief pitcher and every closer in the history of this game, since um, you know the game has kind of evolved the way it has outside of Mariano Rivera, you'll see that from time to time, guys just lose the feel for whether it's, you know, their, their fastball or whatever that secondary pitch is. And then they find it again in that flip just switches or switch yeah. just flips. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, it, and, and they go back to being the dominant guy that they typically are. Right. And that's like why I just like wanted to point out that Liam Hendricks last April to last May. And let's hope that we're in for what he did last May because guess what? He was the MLB reliever of the month for last May. So um, let's hope we're doing it again, running it back here uh, in 2022 as he did in 2021. Um, quick shout outs just from this game. Just look at looking up and down the box score here. Hey, uh, Jake Berger, very, very nice approaches. I, I enjoyed that thoroughly. I uh, didn't really have like what an official at bat until like his third time through, but that's because he had a sack fly and a walk. Um, so th- that was great to see AJ Pollock just getting it done, just getting the job done. It's not going to be pretty every single time, but guess what? He hits that, he knows situation uh, with what one, no, yeah, no outs there. And he hits the ball. Ball ops, you know, even though it's a ground out, but it's opposite field enough infields playing back, get that guy in there. Um, just not feeling like you have to get all of it all back in one to just, you know, I don't know. It's it just something about doing that fundamentally and setting yourselves up for that success. Uh, thank you to Tim Anderson and Luis Robert for doing so. Um, so th- that was just kind of like my last final thought from this game uh, before we move on. If you, if you got one more and then we can uh, talk about this uh, upcoming two game set here. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing that I wanted to really circle back with um, regarding Dylan Cease and Stephen Stone talked about this during the broadcast, talked about him pitching backwards with more consistency. Yeah. Oh, that takes me back to a little interaction I had with Mr. Stephen Stone about two years ago on a lovely platform known as Twitter.com, <laughs> where I, I want to say it was early May, right around the same time. And I, I want to say Cease was maybe like four and one, four and two with like a sub three ERA, but a lot of the peripheral numbers were not particularly good. Uh And so in a lot of ways, it was kind of a harbinger of some things to come. And I had an interaction with him where I suggested, would it make sense for Dylan Cease to start pitching backwards because his fastball was getting hammered and Mm -hmm. he was having better success with the breaking ball. And his response to me was, he's got a sub three ERA. What more do you want from him? Fast forward to the end of the twenty. 19 season or, or, or yeah, it was 2019, 2020 season. 
And uh, the, the numbers didn't shake out particularly well. Right. Now here we are in 2022, and Dylan sees today was about 50-50 split between his fastball utilization and his secondary offerings, obviously with the curveball and the slider being the predominant usage there. We look at the results here throughout the first four yeah. starts he's had in 2022. He is utilizing that secondary stuff at almost a 50-50 split here. Yeah. Steven, hi. I'll take my apology anytime now. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're waiting. We're, we're waiting, Mr. Stone. Uh, yeah. I, I love that, Steve, because, you know, uh, I am a big – I've told Tony this many times. I think you guys – the curveball is my favorite, favorite pitch in baseball. I just love – it, when it drops off the table, it's just visually pleasing to me. Okay. So I love it. And I love that Dylan sees can do that and come over the top of it. Oh, and guess what? Then he's got a slider that's coming in at 85 or 86 as well for another off-speed pitch like that. And uh, yeah, to your point, those are so good that he's able to utilize those. And if you can do a mix like that, you can see the results like today, 11 strikeouts, no walks. So obviously the command's got to be on too, because you can't be missing with those. Uh, if the guys are going to lay off of them, those are resultant balls. Those are resultant walks. You pile up too many of them, but when it's on and you can do that, then yes, absolutely. And that's awesome uh, because he, he I can think go you, win that, you win that interaction. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and he can go out, Cease can go out there and he can shape those breaking balls in, in different manners. Um, obviously he's got the overhand, you know, fuck you curveball, And, um, and then, you know, he's got kind of the, the biting slider that kind of has more tilt, um, you know, down and away towards the right-handed hitter there. So he can shape them differently in and use them in different spots right there. But that's, that's the art of pitching right there is being able yeah. to change eye levels and, upset hitters timing and look obviously steve stone knows a lot about the game of baseball and he knows more about it than i do but his condescension that uh, we see on, yeah. on twitter.com pretty frequently it does get old and the fact of the matter is you know some of us yes sure i never even got close to sniffing the major league level i have no shame in admitting that but that doesn't mean that there aren't some things that i can observe that on occasion could be right Right, because we watch this, you know, it's okay, yeah, yeah, they're in the booth for that. But we were watching this team 162 games a year, too, so it's like, yeah. Um, you're, you're right, Steve. Let's go and crown our NWI Steve, our Steve winner of this interaction. I love it. Uh, dealing Cease was dealing today. Uh, wheeling and dealing, absolutely. So I'll do it for this recap. Uh, Sox win 3-0. Great to see. Close out. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, setting some vibes for this next series, Steve. Uh, and that'll be against the crosstown rival, the Cubs. Uh, now, a lot of people don't want to say this is a rivalry, but I think straight up proximity and shared market makes it a rivalry in and of itself. Um, thoughts on this? I know some people just don't even fucking care. I do. I don't like the Cubs. And they're this close. Why the fuck wouldn't it be a rivalry? My my thing that I've always come back to is I think it's more so I just get annoyed by the mouth breathers that um, inhibit that um, outhouse that, yeah. that they that they play at. Right, yeah, and See, it's about the fans too. It's not it's not just about the teams on the field because like, yeah we know they're in different leagues and all that shit. But this, this is where I'm going with it. Yeah, yeah. Continue. Yeah, and 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 look, I mean, I think everybody knows that my hatred and my venom is more so geared towards Minnesota and Cleveland and right. just get, just given Rightfully so. the orders, the orders of magnitude Correct. Uh, of those games matter significantly yes. more just, just by, just by the quantity of it. But again, you know, the, these games, um, you know, the, they do matter. These four games, they're, they're important, especially given the fact that this team is off to yeah. a sluggish start here. This is a great time for them to get back on track. The Sox have the more talented roster Historically, if you look throughout the course of this 
you know, rivalry series during since interleague play started to take place. When you have the better team, that you, you never really see one side go on an extended run for multiple years of dominance over the other. Mm-hmm. So this would be a great time for that to happen. And again, it's all about getting the Sox back on track and getting hot here. So yeah. find a no, way to great. get out there. I- I agree. I just need to say my piece here because I, I think people overlook that you like just from a business sense, you're competing for dollars, eyes, ears, loyalty, future loyalty, future fans, all in the same market. Because guess what? We're all we're both Chicago. Granted, yeah, sure, one's north side, one's south side, but it's all pretty goddamn similar geographically. You think it matters for someone in the straight west burbs? Well, the fuck they're South side or North side. No, they want to be with the better team. They want to be a team that's, you know, more appealing, more flashy, whatever it may be, whatever strikes their fancy. So th- that's why I just say that. And uh, I've gotten, you know, th- that's the reply that especially always comes down from the North side that it's not a rivalry, but okay, go ahead and you treat it like that. I'll treat it like a rivalry. You, you know, you know, it's absolute fucking living shit out of you the next two days and see how you like it. And you'll probably be a little more pissed than you would if you would have just gotten beat by the brewer. Excuse me. You did get your ass kicked by the brewers over the weekend. So you'd probably be a little bit more upset about this one than that one, just because it'll sting a little extra and you'll be like, oh, why is that? This isn't a rivalry. Then you realize subconsciously that, yes, it is a rivalry. So what's what's always been funny to me is that for a fan base that says that they don't care about the Sox and says that um, that this isn't a rivalry to them. You know, when I was at the game last Tuesday night against Kansas City, saw a, several people all decked out in their stupid little cubby gear going there to cheer against the Sox while the Kansas City Royals are playing on a Tuesday fucking night. Now, I know me personally, and I know a lot of people I know personally that are Sox fans, we don't fucking go to that shithole unless the Sox right. are playing. Right. But you, you seem to see a lot of them coming to 35th and Shields to cheer against the Sox, but sure, they don't care. They don't yeah. care. No, Yeah, no, they don't care. And then they'll just try and say, oh, well, nobody goes to your games anyway, the most outdated uh you know, um, attack in the history of this robbery. So um, well, let's get out of the game itself, Steve. Uh, we talked about before. Uh, we get another lefty. We get another lefty. So, all right, yeah, sure. We need to apply this approach against righties, but at the same time, we can just replicate it right over from Monday to Tuesday here. Uh, it's Drew Smiley on the mound for the Chicago Cubs uh, and Michael Kopech for our Chicago White Sox. Uh, Kopech. 142 ERA coming in here. Uh, Drew Smiley's one two with 279 ERA. Um, I like our odds in this one. The biggest thing that that is going to really tip the scales in this game is going to be Michael Kopech's ability to go out there and work ahead and counts. Mm-hmm. We saw in his last start against Kansas City, and I, I didn't get to watch the game live, so I was able to go back and watch it later on in the evening. Just falling behind too many counts, um, getting behind too many hitters there with uh, – with the fastball. So he's got to go out there and he's got to pound strike one. That's going to be the key here. The Cubs, you know, they do have some guys in their lineup that will take pitches and will work counts. So he's got to go out there and he has to find command of that strike zone very early on. So that's going to be a a big key right there. And you just want to see a continuation of some of the quality of bats that we saw here today against Patrick Sandoval talked about this at the outset of the show the difference in the contrast in the quality of the bats that this team has against left-handed starters versus right-handers is very stark. Mm -hmm. So go out there, continue that tomorrow. Miley's not a guy that's going to blow you away. So stay on it. And I wouldn't mind seeing the guys continue to have that approach that we've seen from Timmy and from Luis and some of the other guys over the last couple of days. 
letting the ball get a little deep on him, take it to right field there, set the tone, get on base, and then, hey, Wade Miley makes mistakes out of the plate, fucking hit it over that stupid-ass fucking scoreboard. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, going up of field is um recipe for success, especially when these balls feel like they're a little dead, um, Steve. I, I think that's a, um, you know, something that's been pointed out, I think, multiple sources across the league, multiple sauces, excuse me, across the league. Uh, who was it? Chris Bassett uh, of the Mets who had uh, pointed out something like that. But you just tell. You just tell going and looking at numbers, and you can just tell being at the ballpark. When you, like, hear one that sounds like the crack of the bat, it's like, oh, damn, that should probably be over the wall or a double off the wall or right in the gap, right in the alley. Um, it just hasn't been there. So, I feel like going opposite field can help you with that because you're going with the direction of the pitch instead of trying to turn it around. Um, like I know Mr. Eloy, if he was healthy, he would try to do that 100% because that's what he does. And he's a big, strong guy. But uh, I agree with you. I, I like that approach there. Um, let's get a pick the click. Who's going to help us do this? So who's going to help us beat uh, the Cubs on Tuesday night? All right. So let's see. We got a le- lefty on the mound. I think tomorrow's the night. Jose Abreu is going to break out of it here. Okay. Been talking about this for a little bit, hitting into a lot of bad luck. You look at the batted ball data. He's hitting the ball harder than he has through the first month than at any point in his career. I think tomorrow it's going to turn. Now, it's going to be cold tomorrow. The weather conditions do not look good out there. So go out there, just have a good, sound approach. And you know what? If that means just finding a couple of gaps, hitting a couple RBI doubles to score some runs, we'll take that. But, hey, if he wants to go ahead – let loose, put one in that stupid fucking basket, <laughs> you know, and hit one of them little garbage ass home runs in that in that little rinky dink fucking piss hole. I'll take it. Yeah, I love it. Hey, see, Sockside Mike agrees. He says Abreu is going to light them up uh, via our YouTube comments here, and D Bell as well. Abreu loves Wrigley. That he does. He had a three home run game there. Uh, a couple of years ago, I don't think it was during the COVID season there. So um, I like that pick, Steve. And guess what? Boating well for you, Jose Abreu is batting 550, 545 uh, in 11 at-bats with one home run, three ribbies against Mr. Drew Smiley. So um, I am going to go with uh, throwing it down down the line to Mr. Larry Garcia. I think he's bound to be back in the lineup. And guess what? Mr. Garcia is hitting 364 in 11 at-bats, one home run, four ribbies against Drew Smiley. So um, I would imagine that uh, Tony, you know, people probably won't be too happy about seeing it, but guess what? He wasn't in the lineup today. So that means what? By Tony Lewis's standards, he's probably bound to be in the lineup tomorrow. So I'll use that to my advantage here. Uh, go with the favorable matchup, at least historically, uh, and put Larry Garcia as my pick to click. If he ain't in the lineup, then um, I will go with a guy who likely will be um, Jake Berger. Again, I went from the day. He came through for me well today, but I'll go with that as my backup, but I could see Larry back in. So, uh, all right, uh, late chime in here. Uh, our guy, Matt Voodoo, 07, picking Josh Harrison. Uh, there you go, right hand. Uh, yeah, another thought here, too, from Sockside Mike, uh, closing out our comments for the, sec- for the day. Uh, Andrew Vaughn, possibly back, too. We shall see. Um, obviously, that does not feel good, getting hit in the hand uh, like he did Friday night, um, but who knows, did not uh, have any breakage in, in that hand. X-rays came back negative, so um, we shall see. All right, Steve, final thoughts, and then let's get out of here. Just quality performance, continue to build on this. Find a way to keep stringing some ones back to back to back here. Get back to 500. Let's go. All right, Hello, Steve, it was an excellent, very entertaining, and arousing game to be at. Um, thanks 
many to Dylan Cease and obviously the first inning run. So um, it, it was a great outing there. And my, my last thought is fuck the Cubs. I already said, had my, I had my thoughts on the rivalry. It's a, it absolutely is a rivalry. Um, and I have plenty of Cubs fans, friends, uh, my main, basically my main group of friends. I'm the only one uh, that is a South sider of that. So I hope if they're listening to this, um, yeah, fuck you guys too. Fuck the Cubs. Let's go Sox. We're starting to run here. White Sox forever. White Sox for life.